Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm your host Mike, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Amateur All Tours. You can follow the show on Twitter at All Tours Pod, or you can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at the Amateur All Tours Podcast at gmail.com. So this week, guys, I have a solo review, and I'm focusing on another short film. So this short film I haven't mentioned before, but the YouTube channel, Alter, may sound familiar. And that's because myself and Jay Skipworth have uh, name-dropped the channel from time to time on this show, and and I think potentially Filmstrip as well. For those of you who aren't aware, Alter is an online brand that produces and distributes indie horror films, both feature and short alike. While I am not familiar with the feature-length films, I have been slowly becoming well acquainted with their extensive list of short films. And that task is pretty easy, considering that the vast majority of the shorts fall within the 5 to 20 minute range, but I'd say that they mostly average in about 10 or 12 minutes. It's because of this fast turnover that you can consume these that I have officially found myself stumbling down the Alter YouTube channel rabbit hole. And boy, I have to say, I really dig Wonderland. The entire channel and its plethora of films feel like a cross between the Netflix shows of Black Mirror and Love, Death, and Robots, two shows that focus on dystopian world scenarios to tell stories ranging from political and societal commentary to satire, black comedy, and sometimes even true horror. Having watched many of the shorts, it's interesting to see that while the subject matter and content may be different, Alter definitely has a certain auteur-esque style to his content. It's gritty dark, and grounded. This consistency in style is definitely interesting to see portrayed across so many different subject matters and filmmakers. Now, I want to state that I don't think Alter is influencing the films they produce. It's more of just an interesting observation that I'm seeing amongst all these filmmakers. So what I'm ultimately trying to say is that you generally know what you will be seeing when you click on an altered YouTube-produced video. While I am only scratching the surface, I really enjoy the films that this channel produces. Some shorts are better than others, and like I just mentioned, there is a nice consistency in the filmmaking, though. All of the shorts, regardless of the content, are extremely well made and are made by truly awe-inspiring professionals. It is because of this I decided to give it a little love and try and highlight some of the shorts from time to time. Why do I want to do this? Well, there are definitely a few reasons. For starters, again, anyone who knows me or has been listening to this show, knows that I am a huge advocate for independent filmmakers. Having dabbled in making my own short films and being involved in some of that process, and even just creating this podcast, I really enjoy watching independent films because you can really feel the passion and drive that come out in so many of them. In a world filled with so much unoriginal and uninspired art, these films are what help push the bounds of both filmmaking and art. The second point is that all of these films are, as of some point in time, free entertainment. In essence, these shorts are not locked behind a paywall. This is quality entertainment for the masses. Pretty much all you need is a Google Google account that says you are mature enough or just over 18, and you can watch countless hours of great entertainment. It would honestly be a disservice not to mention this to my fellow movie buffs. And my final point, and I think probably the strongest one, is that ultimately I love smart horror. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the mindless, fun, and grotesque horror as well, but I feel like that anyone who has a basic understanding of film language, as well as an understanding of what makes people afraid, they can make a horror movie. Hell, Hollywood has been churning out these formulaic, crappy movies for years. 
For instance, and I don't mean to be mean or overly critical of these films, but in recent memory, when I think of films like, you know, the later Saw films or the Insidious films or even the Conjuring films, I don't think exactly groundbreaking social commentary or horror masterpieces. Honestly, I get a little angry at the wasted potential here, but smart horror. Smart horror is what stands the test of time. You know, films like Kubrick's The Shining, Carpenter's The Thing, Peel's Get Out, uh, Edger's The Witch, Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street, Astor's Hereditary, Romero's Dead Trilogy, list goes on and on. But it is these films that will be remembered. Horror with subtext. A lot of these films featured on altars are just that, smart horror. So with that being said, let's talk about the film that inspired me to, you know, really focus on this channel. That short is called The Other Side of the Box. Now this was released in 2018. It was directed and written by Caleb J. Phillips and starring Nick Tagg, Tegan Rose, Josh Schell, and Tyler Pochop. The Other Side of the Box made its way through the film festival circuits and has won quite a few awards, including a few audience awards, Best Supernatural Short, the Festival Prize, uh, Jury Awards, and it's also been nominated for Best Short Films at a few uh, film festivals, including Seattle International Film Festival. So lots of praise and recognition for this short. The Other Side of the Box is a simple story. A couple received a strange and mysterious box from an estranged friend. Little do they know that the sinister intentions of what lies within said box. Now the way I want to structure this review is first discuss the positives, then followed by the critiques. I also want to be crystal clear before I go in, I will be spoiling the short film. Now like I said, the shorts are just that, short. They are free on YouTube and totally accessible. I'll, I'll link this short in the description, so please highly recommend you watch this before listening. I don't want to spoil it. I want you to be able to experience this, the short, and then come back to the conversation. So with that being said, let's start off with the positives. For starters, the film is super atmospheric. The short is loaded with lots of dark shadows, low-lit locations that subtly start to make the viewer feel really uneasy and tense. It's a feeling that you don't know what is lurking behind the corners or what's in the shadows. And when you finally do figure out what is in the shadows, it feels even more claustrophobic and tense. The point goes hand in hand with the great cinematography that Phillips uses th throughout the entire short, as well as the awesome visuals he's able to conjure. Now, my favorite images specifically from the short include the blackness and the void of the box, specifically when the main character, Ben, uses a flashlight to try and look inside the box, or when he drops the pencil into the box. There's also the perspective angle from inside the box, while the leads investigate inside, the lighting of the creatures towards the end, as well as the framing of the main creature from the box, which is played by Tyler Pochop. I also like how there are only four main characters throughout the entire film. It makes it easy to follow, and they all add their own positive to the narrative. I feel like indie films, especially in short films, there can be sometimes an issue of getting actors who don't necessarily fill the shoes of the written role. Either their acting is subpar, or maybe they just don't feel like the character. It's all the pitfalls of, in of independent filmmaking. But this short doesn't suffer from any of those issues. Everyone feels so natural. So breaking down these characters real quickly, um, once again, I'm going to save the critiques for the end, but these characters. First, we have Ben, who's played by Nick Tagg. He's our lead. He does a great job and feels so comfortable in this role. Tagg was also featured in 
the main role of Philip's feature film, Brothers in Arms, and I have heard much of the same compliments from that film that I do here. Tag is one of those actors that makes acting look effortless. He's able to play the carefree banter with Tegan Rose in the beginning with ease and a sense of familiarity, and then shift that tone from bewildered to concerned to afraid at the drop of a dime. This is an excellent casting choice here. Next we have Sean, played by Josh Shell. Sean is more of the supportive character in here, or supporting character, and in what little screen time he has, Shell is able to sell that troubled vibe really well. Right from the introduction, you understand that something is immediately wrong, and you can't quite understand what that is. It's very ambiguous, but it's very engaging. I wish he had a little bit more of a, an appearance in this film, but when he's there, I really enjoyed him, and he sells the part really well. Next, we have Rachel, who's played by Tegan Rose. Now, Rachel is definitely the weakest character of the entire short, and I'll touch more on this point in the next part of the review with the critiques, but what I will say is her character serves its purpose. Rachel is the girlfriend to Ben, and at first you are led to believe that she might be the key to the entire narrative, or at least some sort of motivation behind it. And while that isn't really the case, Rose does what she can with the with the character. Not really memorable, but not really forgettable either. And to be fair, it's a bit difficult to be to be memorable in this short when Tag and Shell are given more of the heavier acting and Pochop is just completely chewing up the scenery. And speaking of Pochop, the final character is of course the man in the box. And I have to say right off from the beginning, Christ, what a creepy character. I think what gets me most is the stillness of the character. I, I don't want to go as far as to say that this is a body performance role, because for like 99% of the short, you only see his eyes. So I'd chalk up the creepiness factor completely to Phillips, but it's also great that he was able to get an actor who can emote so much creepiness and fear with only his eyes. My final point before shifting gears to my critiques is how is the overall narrative? Well, overall is pretty good. There are clear homages to It Follows and its themes, and this is another take on the Weeping Angels concept from Doctor Who. If you're not familiar with the Weeping Angels, um, if you close your eyes, these characters move, and when you open and stare at them, they're si they stay still. So with here, every time we close our eyes, the creature from the box moves farther and farther closer to you. So it's, a, it's another take on that. I like the simple setup, and I do like how some of the things are not explained necessarily, but let's hold on to that thought because I will also address that. I think there is some clear direction and detail in the script as well. For instance, I love the detail how the eyes of the man in the box never leave Ben, showcasing great foreshadowing that it is Ben who always has to watch the man in the box for him not to move. Not just anyone. I also really enjoy the manipulation by parroting information back to Ben and Rachel, establishing this whole idea of it's lying, and that the creature is much more sinister than we really think. There are details of the subtle movements throughout, starting from slow movements of the head and the fingers appearing, to larger and more menacing movements at the end while he shuts the lights off. I also took notice of the detail how the creature ripped all the lights out of the sockets so when Ben finally returns home, he can't use the light to help see. It almost feels like the creature is slowly turning the home into a new design of the box. A place filled with darkness. A place where you never know what is lurking on the other side. It's just overall great attention to detail and great use of the environment to hit home this excellent setup. 
So that being said, I now want to transition to my critiques of the short. And I want to say that these may be seen as nitpicks of the narrative itself, but honestly, these are really the only quote-unquote problems I had with the short. So with that being said, it's just little pieces of the narrative. So first off, I want to address the shared conflicts between Sean, Ben, and Rachel. For, t for context, we are given brief mentions that something clearly has happened between the three of them. And it can't be really life-changing if Ben is still relatively, albeit obviously superficially, polite and friendly to Sean when he randomly shows up on his front door unexpectedly. But it also isn't nothing. At first, I thought that Sean and Rachel had some sort of a past history and Ben was simply the boyfriend who was next after Sean. And that would help explain why Sean gave the box specifically to Ben. But then I remember, no... That really can't be it, because Sean says that he specifically asked Ben's mom where his new address was. So that kind of implies that Ben isn't the new boyfriend. Like, these, all these characters have had some sort of a past history. I don't want to seem like I'm overanalyzing this point, because I want all these answers to this mystery. But I think that the context to whatever this event was would help give some much-needed agency and subtext to the situation. Ultimately, why did Sean choose to give this box to a quote-unquote supposed friend? He looks pretty distraught and concerned when he leaves. A point that also piggybacks off this is what are the rules of this box? What happens when the box consumes you? Does it simply wait like the Jumanji chessboard waiting for a new host? Does the box find its way back to the previous owner like it follows? I understand that this point isn't necessarily that really important in the grand scheme of things, but a semblance of an answer can help add a new element of horror to the idea. For instance, I just mentioned both Jumanji and It Follows. While Jumanji isn't necessarily a horror film, it truly is horrific experience for anyone who plays the game. And while the game board does not have really any symbolic meaning, what makes it scary is that it's an entirely random and it's also alluring. With this in mind, the horror from It Follows comes from the almost premeditated nature of it all. Once the game is over and Jumanji resets, except the experience, in It Follows, the creature will continue to kill each cursed person until no one is left. There is, only, there, there is no solution, except to create more victims. I think this short film is lacking that deeper subtext. Honestly, I feel like there's something inherently scary about being specifically chosen. Now, yes, I understand that all these answers can't be provided in a 15-minute short film, and honestly, it's more like nuggets and set up for a larger narrative. However, you know, I'm not asking for a lengthy backstory, just something, just more hints to leave me questioning. So another nitpick of Sean is that I wish Sean was on the run when Ben called him. When he was finally answered the phone, it looked like he just woke up out of bed, like he just couldn't have been bothered. I understand the limitations of indie filmmaking, but maybe even have him at a train station or just about to run. I, I think if we saw something of this, like Sean getting ready to run, it would subconsciously let us know that you can't run from this thing. You just need to keep moving. And I know it's a small detail, but hey, you know me, I'll sucker for details. And finally, my last real nitpick detail is, why is this creature and his posse wet? Don't get me wrong, I think it's a great detail and adds a little bit of mystery and allure, but I, I wish in the end the idea of the water kind of tied into it a little bit more. The faucet was on, the shower was on, and the creature is clearly wet when we see him. 
I don't know, it, it just seems kind of like a random detail to add. I understand ripping the sockets out and making everything dark, but not so much the running water. So those are my main thoughts and nitpicks. My final thoughts of this short is that despite some small, and I, I want to emphasize small, narrative concerns, it really is something truly special. What Phillips is able to get across in those 15 minutes is something that most filmmakers, me included, aspire to make. The atmosphere, the cinematography, the casting, and the execution, it's all splendidly done. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Phillips has left. Hopefully we can see a feature-length horror film from Phillips in the future, whether it be continuing this story or in a completely original story from his own imagination. It is with all of these points that I've discussed in this review that I'm going to give The Other Side of the Box a solid 8 out of 10. I highly recommend that everyone check out this short on the Alter YouTube channel, which, like I said, is linked down below. And please just check out Altered in general. You got some really awesome stuff if you go down that rabbit hole. So with that, guys, that concludes this episode of Amateur Altours. Thanks for listening. As always, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at AltoursPod. You can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at theamateuraltourspodcast at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.